This episode of Football Friends with Ben and Steph is brought to you by Unique Opal Mine. Based in Adelaide, but shipping worldwide if you or your partner loves opals, Unique Opal Mine is the place to shop. On top of that, they also create and design custom diamond engagement rings and recreate any old jewellery into new pieces. Both Stefan and Ben have used Tim, walking into the shop not having a clue about diamonds, walking out diamond experts. Head to uniqueopalmine.com to hear more or visit them in store in Rundle Mall. Mine tonight, play for over. Depends. Well, your friend, the football will be there. Oh, friend, football friend. Oh, what a support goal. Stefan Law, that is extraordinary from Ben Garuccio. You're listening to episode five of Football Friends with Ben Garuccio and Stefan Mork. In this episode, the Duke of Western Sydney and the King of Machida, Mitchell Duke, joins us as he and the Socceroos prepare to begin their 2026 World Cup qualifying campaign. Sharing stories of his humble beginnings and the illustrious career that followed, enjoy an hour-long special with our football friend who had trials at West Ham that did actually happen. And of course, the boys recap another crazy weekend in the A-League men's. All that and more coming up on Football Friends. Friends! <laughs> Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Football Friends with Ben and Steph. We're back for another week. It's been a huge week in the A-League and I'm joined here by my mate, Steph. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. It's uh, good to be back for another episode. We're, uh, yeah, we've had a, a tough week over here for me. We've, we've wrapped up the season. I've, uh, I've been packing up the house, not sure where I'm going to be next season, so... Got to pack up just in case. Um, we drew. We drew our last game. I wasn't involved. My my hamstring was a bit sore, so I didn't want to risk it when we were we were playing for nothing. Um, but yeah, it's been a been a hectic week over here. And um, fortunately, I got to watch watch all the early games as well, which was great. What about yourself? How was uh, how was the week for you? Yeah, it was obviously not the best result for us, um, and it's been a bit of a a theme the last few weeks, which is. Never good, and obviously, you know, we started the season well. We've lost the last three, so um, it is still early days. The, the league is still quite tight, but obviously, you want to be getting up to the best start as possible. But um, yeah, I think we can we can basically just get straight into the to the A League wrap for the week. First game of the week was uh, Melbourne victory versus the Phoenix. Uh, one will draw, probably the most one-sided one will draw you you ever see. Uh, what were your thoughts on that game? Yeah, victory were really strong, as you said. Um, I don't think Phoenix even had a shot um, on no. target, so it's um, it's pretty crazy when you uh, when you walk away from a game with a point um, and yet and a goal to get your point, and you haven't even had a shot on target. So it shows the the dominance of victory it was pretty similar to the Adelaide game, actually, where victory came out, the blocks flying. Uh, they didn't take their chances. They they obviously got their one goal, but, you know, you, they need to be a bit more ruthless. And, and I think that's something that I'm sure they're going to be working on. But for me, they're, they're still the team to to beat. I know they've, they've drawn the last couple, but they look the most dangerous. They look very good in, in defense, midfield, the, the front players. I think their combination play will only get better. You know, you've still got good quality players on the bench. And, I guess for you know for for Wellington on the other side, you know it's it's a point away from home. There's probably two games against Western Sydney now and Victory, who are 
two of the better teams away from home. They've got points in maybe games they didn't deserve to. So it's probably a, a really positive thing for for, for the, the players to feel. Um, what about what about yourself? What did you think about the game? Yeah, I, as I said, I thought it was quite one-sided. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I agree with what you said. You know, Victory are looking good right now and it's it's pretty crazy. Like last year, they weren't, they look like a completely different different team. Uh, they've got still quite a lot of the same players as last season, but they just seem to have like a really good understanding right now. And obviously they've added Arzani, but I think someone who's sort of flown under the radar is Valupale, Um, because probably everyone's talking about Fornaroli, Arzani, um, and no one's really speaking that much about Valupale. But for me, he's been unbelievable these these first four games. Um, he's been super dangerous and he's sort of not, not set up the first goal, but he plays that really smart ball back into Guerrier and then Guerrier puts it across fatigue. So, um, yeah, they're definitely looking good at the moment. And I, I reckon Amy Park's going to be a pretty tough place to go for a lot of teams this year. So they've got the fans back, uh, which is good. And, you know, when Victory get that, they are probably, you know, some of the best fans in the league uh, with the numbers that they can bring to games. So I think it's good. It's good for the league uh, to see Victory back up there. And um, no, it's it's good. Yeah, no, completely, completely agree. I think they should only uh, keep building on on their attendances. The the fans should keep coming, and um, that leads us on to our our next game down in um, was it Ballarat? You were playing in down in the rat. Yeah, it was. Um, you can you can talk us yeah. about that. Yeah, it was. Um, oh, it was a bit of a strange. Like for us, probably. One game this year, I'd say, like we really dominated in terms of possession. I think watching the game back, there was one stage in the first half where we had, I think it was nearly like 80% uh, percent possession in that first half. So it did feel quite comfortable in that first half. Obviously, you can never be comfortable in a game and it's never easy. Um, but it definitely felt like a game where we were con- sort of controlling the, the tempo and the way the game was being played. And we played in their half a lot, which was good. And obviously, we did have... Uh, a couple of good chances. Obviously, we had the goal that was was ruled out, but we had another another one um, with Noah Bottic. Uh, we had another one with Pena that got sort of blocked, and then another offside goal in the in the second half as well. So, yeah, there were a few chances in there, but at the end of the day, football is is a funny game, and they went down the other end um, probably once or twice in the first half, and they were able to get their goal. Um, and then after that, you know, you're one nil down, you're playing at home and obviously we'd lost the last two before that. So it starts to get, you know, a little bit, not shaky, but you start to get that nervousness a little bit and feeling like you need a score. And I thought in the second half, we, we still created, um, a bit, but we weren't probably as good and we didn't control the game as much as in the first half. And yeah, we weren't able to get that goal, which, you know, look, I think some games you walk away from, you think, you know, we played really poorly um and we didn't even look like scoring i think in this game you know we did have some decent chances obviously you have two goals chalked off um but you know you still lose the game one nil which is uh disappointing what were your thoughts from the from the outside obviously for me it's always a little bit different speaking about my games because i'm obviously playing in them yeah no i well, if I'm being completely honest, I had a had a bad sleep the night before, so I fell asleep from about the 30th minute until the until the 70th minute. Um, but in, in the first 30, you guys were all over them, and you know, I, 
I guess the the one thing was like you probably yeah you created a few half chances here or there, but it just wasn't didn't seem like it was that fluid a lot of the play and and Newcastle seemed pretty comfortable. They weren't great. They weren't great on the ball. Um, as you said, the possession stats would have been in your favour, but yeah, it just didn't didn't really feel like a, a game where there was going to be a goal. Um, obviously, AP scored um, a pretty yeah pretty scrappy goal for the Jets, and it's just one of those ones where I guess they. They're probably happy to sit back, especially once they score. You know, they don't need to go forward and they don't need to score. And, you know, they've got a new coach who's probably happy on the road, take the three points. Um, and for you guys, probably in that last, when I, when I woke up, um, especially the last 10 minutes, that's when it looked like you guys had a little bit more urgency. Um, you know, the young boy, Gr- Grimaldi, I think it was, that came on. He looked, you know, yeah. he's only on for a little bit, but he looked really sharp. I think it just, it looked in the first half, like, you know, players were kind of a bit hesitant, not really going at, at, at the Jets, um, so it was easy for them to defend in their block. But um, you know, you guys need to, you know, obviously bounce back. You've got the, the international break, so it's it's one of those ones like you said. The, the ladder's so close, but you don't want to start falling behind because then every yeah. game becomes a must win. So it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think you know anyone can beat anyone, as we saw again in this in this round. So you just got to make sure that you're you're on it really, and um, that's the that goes into our. Our next one, which was Western Sydney Perth, did you uh, get to watch any, or were you travelling back? Yeah, uh, for this one, I was. I was in the passenger seat. Lucky Wales drove me to the game, so I was watching the game uh, on the way home. Um, and yeah, like, look, Western Sydney. I, I thought they looked good. Um, you know, they got your two fullback scoring, which is always a good sign because they're bombing on. And uh, I didn't see most of the first half, but when I watched the game back, uh, watching over it, like. Tate Russell had a couple of chances, so he could have maybe scored more than one goal. But um, yeah, he had a couple of other really good chances and Western Sydney looked like they did create some good chances that they probably could have done better with. Sometimes the final ball uh, wasn't there. Obviously, there was that passage where Glory hit the post and then Western Sydney went back up the other end and hit the crossbar. But no, I think probably overall, um, I'd say a fair result and it's a good result for Western Sydney. It's a clean sheet. Uh, which is important, and Rudin would love that. And then two goals, and it's your two fullback scoring, which is, um, I think they're so far they've been a team that have had quite a few different goal scorers. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Like I think I don't know, I don't think Barella's even scored this year, and and yeah. Thompson maybe maybe one, one. but it's yeah. um yeah, I think they're they're looking pretty good, Western Sydney, and um it was. It was a game where um, Perth Glory were a little bit more happy to sit back and probably go on the counter. And, and you know, they did have some half chances on, in the first half on the break. The first half was probably 50-50, I would say. Still, Western Sydney were dominating. But Perth Glory had their chances. Bruce Kamau went down injured early on. So, Kolakowski came on. Um, Taggart was missing. So, Perth were, were missing a couple of players as well. And getting an early injury doesn't help. But, yeah, Western Sydney for me looked very... Very solid, very comfortable. Brillante um, and Hendricks in the midfield are, are very, very solid players. You know, they're not you know flashy players. They just keep it simple, keep the ball kind of ticking over. That allows probably your your fullbacks in Clisby and Russell to get higher because you've got your two sixes that actually kind of sit in there with your centre backs and um, can kind of help help mitigate the the counter attacks. And yeah, like you said, Tate Russell in the first half, he had quite a few chances, um, whether it was his final ball or. Um, you know, choosing to shoot instead, but he's, um, you know, it's, it's pretty special, I guess, for him coming back from a long time out. It was 500 odd days with his ACL, before, I think, in between games and um, gets his opportunity to play at the start of this season and, and he's done really well. So 
you know, you think if, if Barello starts, you know, banging them in and Tonson starts banging them in, you've got Ninkovic coming back as well. You know, they're, they're, them and Victory, are, I would say, are probably the two two most dangerous teams and most consistent teams from the first four four or so games anyway. Um, still early doors, but, you know, you're, they've, have, got, they've got quality. They've yeah, definitely got yeah. quality, Western City, and we we saw it when we played them. But, yeah, you're right. Like, and Marcelo, you add Marcelo into that, who's a good passer of the ball, and then you've got those two sixes, and Barello getting jealous that other people are scoring. He's trying to save them on the line. <laughs> Yeah, unbelievable. Why would that have, if if that didn't go over the line? Yeah, you would have fucking copped it. it. Yeah, it was it was one of those ones where he's it just would have been so unlucky. But he, he's done well enough to kind of arch his back to to I guess get the touch on it. But I think um, it was clearly over the line. So you know you're yeah. pretty pretty happy if you take Russell that it that it did count because if it didn't, like you said, you know Barella would be getting that. Uh, We'll be getting a word to him afterwards, but yeah, that's uh, that's all good. Hopefully, the crowds as well at the West Sydney, um, especially at home, start building. I know it was another hot day there and a five o'clock kickoff, but you know the way the way they're playing, it's ex- it's actually exciting. Um, they're being the next... around that ten k mark, which is yeah, you know, it, it, I think look compared to some of the other crowds, it, it's still good. Yeah, uh, obviously, everyone knows the capability of, of the RBB and Western Sydney and yeah. those early days. I think sort of everyone's sort of dying to see that that support come back and that stadium to be full because it would be an unbelievable atmosphere in that stadium. Yeah, I think I think 12, 12 to 15K, you know, on a regular should be should be their standard. And and I think their next game, I don't know whose home game it is, is the is the Sydney Derby. So that would be a big one for both those teams. And then we go into the the other side of Sydney, Sydney FC against Adelaide United, new coach. Uffy comes in, as you see everywhere in, in, in not even just football, but world sport, really. A new coach comes in and for some reason, the team, more than more than likely, they're going to win the game or at least put in an unbelievable performance. And they couldn't have, couldn't have probably played any better. Um, they could have scored more. Adelaide weren't at the races at all. 5-1 actually made Adelaide look, you know, better. Um, but yeah, did you did you see this game as well? Yeah, that's just a crazy game because I was actually speaking to a couple of guys at training today, and I was like, "Who goes? Who goes to Coopers and wins five one? Like Coopers is one of the hardest places to go in the A League, and and everyone will say that because the the stadium, the fans, that atmosphere when when they start getting behind Adelaide, it's fucking very very hard place to to go and win games. But five one is ridiculous and obviously you mentioned Uffi coming in at the end of the day no one knows what was going on inside at Sydney FC and you can't really speculate um you know sometimes it's actually just the refreshing face to have a new face a new maybe voice that's that's dictating the way that we're doing things and the players respond well to that you know you don't know what was going on but it's a perfect start if you're Uffi you're buzzing because that team hadn't even scored a goal yet in the league and they go out and score five. So uh, we both said Lolly at the start of the year is on his day, probably one of the best in the league. And he was fucking unbelievable in that game. Un- unplayable. He was, yeah, he was doing everything. And um, that's the thing, like with Sydney FC, that's the the star power they've got. And I think that was the most probably surprising thing. And one of the reasons potentially why um, Corrick has stepped down or why Sydney FC kind of, you know, gave him the tap on the back to maybe have a chat because... 
you know, they do have the quality in, in Mac and Lolly and, and Caceres, uh, Gomez up front. They just, it wasn't clicking. And um, again, without being in the change room, you can't really speculate on too much. But you do know, as we've been in the situation before, when a new coach comes in, you have to impress every single player. You almost get this like, uh, it's like day one of preseason almost again, where you're buzzing. You've got this yeah. motivation because you know it's a clean slate for everyone. Of course, he's got, you know, ideas on certain players because he's seen you play before. But training's different. And when you see people in training, so the intensity in training's up. Everyone's buzzing. That first game, you know, all right, I need to do well. Um, especially the young boys, um, you know, if you get a chance when you weren't getting a chance before, all of a sudden now it's like, okay, well, I've got to take this chance. And and both of them, um, I think, were really, really good. And then you add in Lolly, who was unplayable on, on the day. And like Adelaide, as as good as Sydney were, were horrible. Well, actually, just yeah. first half, they weren't, they weren't up for the fight. Like Sydney FC pressed them really high, which... Um, what Central Coast did last year in the finals, and that's when Adelaide struggled. They they just pressed them high, couldn't play out, and then it was just kind of attack after attack, and um, you know it was it was it was too much in the end when you've got that quality, and then you know once you go four nil five nil, it's it's game over. There's no coming back. Then it's kind of almost just a bit more of a training drill. But you could hear Uffy from the sidelines, as uh, the commentators were saying, he was barking out orders the whole time. So if you're a Sydney FC fan. Um, You'll be wrapped, and if you're the the twelve thousand odd fans that came out for that game for Adelaide United, you uh, you're probably finding it hard to stick around after you know the first forty minutes because it's uh, yeah, it's not enjoyable to watch your team when when they're down down by what was it four goals in the first half, and then straight after yeah. halftime they score the fifth, and you're thinking, well, I paid I paid full price to be here. Do I do I just go across to the pub or do I stick around? And you know, fair play, they they did stick around, um, but it's a uh, it's not great going to the international break when you come off a heavy loss, but again, it's uh, it's early doors, so we'll we'll see how they they bounce back in the next game against Western United. Against Western United, so it should be an easy game for my Reds. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Bookmark yeah, that. But yeah, 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 yeah. So then we uh, the next one, uh, which was the balls against City, um, which was pretty. Again, the first half, boring. Could have fallen asleep. If if I didn't have a good sleep the night before, my whoop, my whoop told me I did have a good night's sleep. That's probably why I didn't fall asleep watching this one. Um, but then the second half was ridiculous. Like uh, You go from nil all to 3-3. Three, three and uh, yeah, MacArthur probably similar to the Newcastle Jets against you guys. They were happy for, for City to have possession. No problems. A um, few counterattacks. The Villas... Unbelievable! Everything goes through him in that Bulls team, and they, and you know they do have the quality with the wingers, with Raphael and and Jed Drew on the wings that they can catch you. And um, City went up, and then and then the Bulls obviously scored three, thinking it's game over. And then City showed this urgency that probably wasn't there the entire game. So yeah, it's funny. It's funny how um, how it works, but I think it just shows, um, and you can probably speak to it a bit more. But how even how even the league is this year. Yeah, it's su- it is super even. It's going to be we said this sort of from the first week that if you're off and another team's on, you can get spanked. And we've already seen a few hidings in the in the league this year. Um but yeah, even that game like look, I think probably Melbourne City had the had the better of the chances. They could have easily been up and then all of a sudden it's 80th 85th minute and you're 3-1 down. And I was thinking 
MacArthur have, have done it here. Like, fair play. They've, they've taken their chances. Davila has had that sort of individual class. Um, and they're going to win. And then I think if you're a Bulls player, like, it's sort of like, oh, you know, like that really got away from us because 85th minute, you shouldn't draw the game from there. And it's it's obviously, we've been there. You've been in those games where where there's sort of momentum and things like that. But for me, there there wasn't a whole lot of momentum. I think MacArthur were like, yeah, we're, we're in the driver's seat now. Like, it's going to take something special. And obviously, uh, Jamie McLaren does what Jamie McLaren does. And, and he popped up. Uh, Scotty Galloway got, got a nice little assist. And um, then obviously, yeah, just the penalty. And sort of, it was written all over Aspro's face. Like, he was head in hand straight away because he knew that, you know, he's just put his foot out when he shouldn't have. And yeah, it's um it's a disappointing one for for MacArthur to not get the three points. But on another note, they've started the season unbelievably. Yeah. So I think um Milestrajovsky's done done really well and they're also playing those AFC Cup games um as well. So it's not easy what they've been having to do. They've troubled a lot. They've played a lot of games. Um but they're they're getting results. Yeah, no, I think that's what we spoke about in preseason. You can't really judge um, Milosevjovski on the results last year because he took over in a, in a tough period. And, and now they've they've done really well because then you got the other, you know, the, our last game, which is Central Coast against Brisbane. Central Coast haven't won and they're kind of talking about the AFC and we've had to play games. Our squad's small. MacArthur's is the exact same and they've, they've been able to manage well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see if MacArthur can keep this up. Um, and then going into the last game, we can't speak about it too long we've got our special guest uh mitch duke who's about to about to jump on but brisbane raw 2-1 bit of an eventful game um you know the the first goal was controversial where it was the ball out was it not var i don't think they could overturn it similar to the arsenal newcastle like you couldn't clearly say it was out it looked out but it wasn't clear and obvious so you can't do much about it then, then Brisbane score, Central Coast score. They get a penalty. VAR says there's no penalty. Central Coast feels like everything's going against them right now. Um, then Brisbane get a red card, and then Central Coast get a red card straight after. So it's yeah. it's a tough start, tough start to the season for Central Coast. But there's uh, yeah, there's there's a long time to go. But if you're the if you're the new coach, you'd be feeling the pressure. Yeah. Look, it was always going to be hard, and and I think everyone sort of spoke about this before the season about you know losing those players, but also losing your your coach um, just before the season, and it's never easy. Um, I think it was what a week for for Central Coast. I think they were traveling traveled back twenty five hours um, from Bali, which I don't even know how it takes twenty five hours to get back to Central Coast from Bali. They, but they probably missed their flight because they're all at uh, yeah. All at Finn's Beach Club. I think, yeah, they were at Old Man's, I think. We're trying to win the, the, the table at the beer pong tournament. Yeah, the beer pong tournament. So, yeah, I I don't know. Like, you know, you're away day in Bali. Away days don't get much better than that, let's be honest. You, you've, but, um, you've won the game. I'm sure they were out. They have to have been out. Yeah. Probably being out. I think they play. I'm not sure where they play. I think it might be in Ubud. So I'm not sure if there's a whole lot going on there. Maybe a maybe a yoga retreat or something like that after the game. But um, on a serious note, like it, in the game, like um, it was it was quite even. I think I think both teams sort of had their chances. Um, and then you know when Brisbane get the red card, it's two one at that stage, and you're thinking, all right, perfect, we can sort of get back into it, and then. The red card, obviously, for Central Coast, just like really 
sort of not kills the momentum, but just evens out the playing field again, you know, instead of being able to make the most of that, of that one extra man, you're back to 10 v 10 and it, it sort of just, you know, halts everything. And I think if they could have used that extra man, you never know what could have happened in that game. But as it finished, you know, it, it was 2-1. Um, I wish the VAR on that game was doing our game because then the bloody goal that I put in for Pena might have stood. But you're uh, about one metre out. Don't, don't even look at that. About, about, about 30 centimetres, I reckon. Yeah. I knew it, but I was like, are they actually going to give this? So I just kept quiet. Yeah. yeah. But, but um, no, nah, let's yeah, wrap it up because... Because Juki's here, he do, he doesn't want to give you talk anymore. Yeah. So, right. um, we'll uh, we'll throw it over and and welcome Juki to it. And we've got our second guest on the podcast. It's Mitch Duke, the. Uh, the king of Machida. Not having that name at all. <laughs> you boys. Nah, good to good to have you. Yeah, it's good to see you, lads. I haven't seen you, Ben, for ages. I haven't caught up with you. Obviously, Morky, I played with you last year, uh, and I've seen you a few times this year when you visited Tokyo. So, always a familiar face, which is always good, and to chat about football, which is our lives, basically, isn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We'll be. Uh... Yeah, well, I've heard I've heard a lot of your stories anyway in the car last year. I, I couldn't get you to stop speaking, to be honest. Um, so <laughs> it'll be good that some listeners get to hear them as well now. Yeah, uh, I won't go too in depth with some of my stories; they'll get me in trouble. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, That's I've had why we got you wild... on, Juki. Yeah, I can't say too much. To be fair, I've had a wild ride. Uh, obviously, <laughs> Morky as well. Like just to go a little bit into the personal stuff. Obviously, I've gone through a divorce and stuff in the last. In the last year and a half and stuff so and being being in a foreign country as as Morky would know as you would know also when you've played in Scotland Benny um you know uh you do certain things to kind of escape football and certain reality at sometimes as well when you've got a lot of free time and that and uh yeah I've definitely <laughs> made some good stories and uh memories outside of the football world I think a book know, a book's gonna come out. Yeah. A book's yeah, gonna yeah. come out oh. one day. To be honest, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Honestly, like, actually, so many so, so many to joke about like me needing to write a book or make a movie about my life, and uh, I think it'll be quite entertaining. I don't, I'm not sure what kind of theme would be. I'm not sure if it'd be a drama, comedy, um, bit of everything. You know, yeah, bit, bit of everything. everything. It'll be very exciting and entertaining. That's for sure. Roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, Let's go back to the start then. Um, for the listeners that, that don't know, you, you started at Central Coast. Um, we won't go into your early years as a footballer, but talk us through what it was like being a, you know, a youth team player, earning, earning peanuts up on, the, up on the coast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To go all the way back, um, they had the, obviously the youth systems back then, which was just the younger reserve teams of the first A-League team. So obviously I played at Central Coast Mariners youth team and would travel away to Adelaide, Melbourne, play those teams there, which was on about, I think it was at that time was $700 a month. Um, and at that time as well, Arnie was the coach, current national team uh, coach. And uh, he actually wanted me to train full time with the first team as well, which was obviously very difficult to play on $700 a month. Being from Sydney as well, I had to travel up every day and then try and make some sort of income outside of that while I'm trying to make it as a professional, 
which was fun times. Um, and I think in the process of doing that, I worked about three jobs at that time. I worked for Super Cheap Auto. I worked at Bankstown Airport, like 12 a.m. to 7 a.m. Uh, <laughs> I'd go to Central Coast to train. I'd do a, either a shift at a Super Cheap Auto or I'd do a shift as a courier uh, for a freight company in the city. Um, and I did that for Impressive. a good yeah. That's fucking up. That's old time. Yeah, honestly, honestly, you it was still, an absolute, you still, absolute shift. You still would have been the bloke at training that was had the most energy out of everyone, eh? Oh, mate, I was living, I was living off about three energy drinks uh, before training. <laughs> like, v was my go-to, mate. It was in my veins at that time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, honestly, to get by like at that point in time, I actually I look back and I don't know how I did it. To be fair, um, but for me, actually, like. I never really had anything else to fall back on. So it was kind of like just desperation times chasing that dream to become a professional footballer uh, because I didn't have anything else. By the time I was actually getting to, like coming up to my 21st birthday, I was, I just become golden boot in the youth league and Arnie didn't give me another contract. He gave actually Bernie Abini a contract ahead of me at that time. And I was like, on my last legs, I think as a youth player, you can only play up to like 21. Um, and I was, I was coming up to my 21st birthday. So I was like, oh, dream coming to an end. And I started to actually become an apprentice electrician. And I got 10 months into that. And then Arnie gave me the lifeline of giving my contract on my, literally on my 21st birthday, um, which was just uh, good because I didn't want to be a sparky. I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. Um, so, and that's what I mean. I think, I think that's probably helped become, I guess, who I am and how I play. Um, I'm not the prettiest of players, as you as you both know, but um, I, I I kind of don't give up and uh, high energy and and that's it's basically comes into I don't have anything else. I've never really been good at anything else, and I think that's like kind of what made me, I guess, make it and probably stay as consistent and in the game as long as I have, especially away from the A League, which is very difficult playing abroad overseas. I think I'm coming on to over seven years now in Asia, um, very competitive, very difficult. So. Yeah, I can't. I look back now. I can't believe I got through that time. But yeah, I'm pretty happy with how things have panned out now. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty interesting. I guess similar to what we were speaking about on last week's episode is the second division coming in, and we were kind of having that discussion of if the players need to be uh, professional, semi-professional, and I think that that desperation that you just talked about with knowing that this was everything for it, I think that's why it's better if you can get these players in into a full-time environment. So they see, and you know, if they have to work a second job outside to survive, look at, you know, what it's done for yourself and, and plenty of players, I'm sure, over overseas as well. But yeah, you, you touched on the way you play. Um, and that makes that makes a player knowing that if you don't uh, if you don't perform, if you don't get a contract or you don't get, you know, a jump from the second division to the first division by a certain time, you can't survive. Um, and I think that's that's you know, it's a it's an unbelievable story. And something I'm sure you, you know, in the tough times you look back on the thing, I'm, I'm grateful that I kind of stuck with it. And um, yeah, it's really, really exciting. And then from from Central Coast, you started playing. Um, when when was it your debut and, and how did that go? Oh God, I can't remember the exact date or anything, but I know I was obviously in the youth team and <laughs> it's actually mental how I got my opportunity. I flew up on the day of the game because I wasn't in the squad, but uh, I think his name was Perez. We had a, number 10 at that time named Perez and he sneezed and blew his black a disc out in his back <laughs> I'm not even I'm not lying like I'm not lying and 
I got the call basically being like, can you fly out to the Gold Coast? I was literally, get, I was in my super cheap auto kit, like ready, ready to do a shift. <laughs> and they actually said like, can you fly out to, to be on the bench for the game tonight against Gold Coast United? And of course I was like, yeah, like stuff super cheap, like I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, and then I think Arnie kind of made the promise being like, you know, I'm not just flying you out. I'm going to give you a chance off the bench at some point, be ready um, when I got there. And yeah, a, I think I played about 20 or 30 minutes off the bench and scored off the bench uh, on my debut, Fire. which was awesome. Um, we won, I think, 3-0 or 3-1 against Gold Coast that day. And yeah, special moment that was because I was still uh, a youth player at that time. So to get that opportunity was massive. Um, and I still didn't get a contract after that. <laughs> it, took, it took a year <laughs> after that to get my contract. But uh, <laughs> I think that's uh, like what you touched on there as well. It's about about the second league uh second division i think the thing about that is it's all about opportunities as well um it's just creating more opportunities for players to be exposed into that world of football um to show themselves uh and i think that's where you lack in in the a league i think at times we've obviously only had like a 10 10 team league um you know it's not enough opportunities for boys out there that like you know you've got 23 players professional players to a team <laughs> with only 10 teams to kind of show yourself, it, it's very hard to come by opportunities. Um, and for me, that I feel like I saw that as my opportunity to kind of show myself and lucky enough, scored off the bench and, and got my opportunity later on as well more to get my contract. But um, I'm excited about what's coming for Australian football, especially with that second division. And I actually heard you speak about it, Benny, as well, when you said the difference was when you played in Scotland was the promotion relegation aspect of the game. And I think that's massive. And you've experienced that as well, Morky. Um, and like here, like even in J2, people might be like, oh, it's J2, blah, blah, blah. But it's so competitive. There's 22 teams going to J, trying to go to J1 or stay alive by the end of the season. And there's no easy games when it comes to those kind of things because everyone's desperate to stay, either stay up or get promotion or make it into the playoffs. Um, because, you know, there's a lot more at stake with promotion and relegation as well because people's livelihoods, contracts, salaries can go up and down. If you get relegated, your contract could be halved. So that's people's livelihoods and families financially uh, going to be affected and everything like that. So I think it just adds a different aspect to the game, way more competitive, more intensity. Um, and just, yeah, just the competitiveness side of things is just different level, I think. Um, and I think Australia will only benefit from that once it gets obviously the ball rolling there yeah we're a um we are a long way behind look we we have to hold our hands up and say that we are a long way behind um countries in europe even you know countries like japan how built up the football leagues are over there it's it's unbelievable and you two obviously know better than me uh j2 the the standard of it and how competitive it is and then you look at j1 as well and that's another step again so we are, we are behind in that and I think it's just about bridging the gap and hopefully getting to a point where we can start to bring that closer and I think the day that we do see promotion relegation is going to be a very exciting day for, for football in our country and you know it might not be when, when any of us are still playing but hopefully it is sometime in the, uh, in the near future but um, talk to us a little bit about sort of your, your breakout so obviously you had that year away and then you did end up getting the contract at that time, Central Coast Mariners was was kind of the place to be. Um, if you were a young player in the A-League, obviously there were a lot of people who you would have played with that ended up going on and getting moves and, you know, playing within the national team and things like that. So talk to me a little bit about that time at the Mariners and then also sort of your, your first move to, to Japan as well. 
Yeah, to be fair, it was very turbulent for me. Um, you know, it was obviously a long, long wait to get that contract. But after I got that first professional contract, my first year as a professional, uh, we became champions with the Central Coast Mariners, obviously playing with some players that are still in the Socceroo setup or have been a Socceroo and a, and a mainstay at one point, you know, with the Rogics, the Matt Ryans, the Bernie Abinis, Trent Sainsbury's. Uh, we've had, uh, obviously, Nick Montgomery was there as well, who's, you know, transitioned to being a coach, great player. Uh, and coach, um, you know, a lot of big names there at that time in my first year, becoming a champion and then getting my first Socceroos call up actually under Holger Osik at that time, at the end of that season as well. Um, so it did go to zero to 100 for me and that set the platform. I'll probably either, like, I'd say expectation and pressure as well, um, which then, funny enough, I, a lot of people would say I had second year syndrome after that because I didn't live up to probably the expectation that I'd built that from the success that we had at the Mariners. Um, and that was just another experience, another challenge that you have to get used to as well as a professional, um, you know, to back it up and be consistent. Um, that's always a hard thing for youngsters. Um, and for me, in my first year as a professional, that was the biggest challenge for me was to try and back it up. And I wouldn't say I did that in the second year. We still had a good year at Mariners that second year under Phil Moss. We finished in second or third, um, but only scored I think three goals that year. Um, it was a really frustrating time for me. Uh, I wasn't playing just out and out striker. I was playing as a winger, but still should have done a lot better from my own standards from the from the year before. Um, but I think for me, like they've all just been stepping stones and learning curves for me to become a better player from those experiences. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? So for me, it's it, it was probably a blessing and a curse at the same time because I had so much success. I experienced all the highs so early. Um, and then got brought back down to reality pretty quickly in the second year about the struggles of when, when you go for a certain amount of games, not scoring goals or we're not winning or, you know, there's that expectation and that pressure, which I struggled to deal with. Um, and for me also, like, I'll, I'll go back to then as well. I was a bit of a, a loo I'm a bit of a loose cannon in general. Um, <laughs> a lot of people will know that if they know me personally and they've played with me. Um, I, was I was going through a lot at the time as well. Um, I was young, going through a bit of a uh, on and off relationship, and that ended up in a in a pregnancy as well. I've got a ten year old um, from that experience, uh, so um, my life was very chaotic while trying to become a professional, like trying to make a name as a professional footballer outside of that. And not too many people know all these details about me um, and all that. So the way I managed it was a little bit also chaotic off the pitch uh, as a distraction and, and as a release, I'd either be going out uh, for drinks to bars and, and stuff like that as my little escape while then probably having training the next day. Um, yeah. And going a little bit wild. Um, so I wouldn't say I was the perfect role model at certain times during my professional career, but uh, for me, it, it was, it was my way of finding balance, whether or not it was right or wrong, but uh yeah, it's, it was it was a crazy first couple of years being probably introduced to the professional game as a footballer, but still got through it, which I'm pretty happy with. Yeah, and I think it's it's something that you know everybody on the outside um, they just see the performance on the weekend. They don't see training. They don't see what you're doing in your your own personal life. Now with social media, it's a little bit different. You can kind of see a bit more, but. It's still, you know, they don't know what's gone through the player's head, the struggles of, you know, just even like you said, the expectation, the standards now, being a professional footballer now that all of a sudden you've performed at a certain level, everyone expects that and you expect it of yourself. So then you struggle with that. 
but then you add in, you know, issues off the field that, you know, you, you get onto the football field and if you don't have a clear head, it's extremely tough to perform. Um, so it's, yeah, it's always good, I think, for the people at home to think, you know, maybe if a player is struggling, maybe there's something more to it and it's never through lack of trying. You know, that that's definitely not not the case that I've seen any in, in any players. Um, so, yeah, I guess you had those first couple of years, you kind of got through that, which like you said, zero to 100 and then back down to reality. Uh, and then how did how did the move to to Japan come about? The the first move, obviously, there was a lot of players like Ben touched on that were getting moves. Um, was Europe something that you wanted to try first, or did Japan just come up before anything over over in Europe kind of materialized? Yeah, funny enough, actually, obviously Europe. I think any young Australian will probably say their dream is to make it into Europe in the top five leagues of Europe as their as their dream um, to give it a chance, test themselves out against the best. I had that um, actually straight after that season, like I said, zero to 100 before I actually had my first Socceroos selection. I went to West Ham in the Premier League on a one week trial under Sam Allardyce. Um, they flew me over for a week trial because they uh, watched some of my games and they were monitoring me a little bit. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I don't know how that came about. And then I've gone from fucking uh, super like, cheap order to Western. Mate, <laughs> yeah, like within 10 months, I've, I've gone from, yeah, super cheap auto, like working at <laughs> Bankstown Airport. Um, and then now I'm standing like next to Andy Carroll in the change room. Absolute beast. That's fucking mad. <laughs> and yeah, no. And then obviously like that was a, that was a experience all in itself. Um, actually, could, I don't know why I probably didn't have the right guidance at that time. I don't know why I did that because I couldn't actually sign in England at the time. I couldn't uh, play there because of uh, the past, uh, sponsorship passports and uh, the visa situation. Um, and I wasn't a current national team player that had played enough. I think the rule was over 75% over two years to get that kind of, I think it's a sponsorship visa or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So yeah, but I mean, great experience all in itself as well. Um, but yeah, like just an another thing to add to the experience that I felt like kind of sets it brings you back down to reality shows you kind of what the level is at and what you need to get to and how much you need to improve um so i look back at those kinds of times um that was brilliant but at the same time for me coming out of my whirlwind situation outside of football the financial side was always also a big factor for me um i come from a family of nine kids um uh, didn't have much kind of just like paycheck to paycheck within that that kind of era so like for me I had the European dream, but then I heard a J-League club was coming to watch a couple of my games at Central Coast. We were really in a little bit of a dip. And I knew they were just coming to watch two games. And for me, again, when I talk about opportunities, I think it's just so important. Like you you get certain opportunities in, in life, in football and, and certain occasions. And it's if you grab it or you and you take that chance or not. And for me, those two games they came and watched, I scored a double against Melbourne City, Melbourne Heart at the time. And I got an assist, a winning assist against Adelaide the two we're games they came and watched. We got to pull you up yeah, on, we got on a, the Melbourne City yeah. one, and this is this is something that you wouldn't even know, and it's and it's funny. It's got nothing to do with it, but this is how football is is so funny. So you you tell it, Ben. Yeah. So we actually, I think that was was that Asian Cup year, and we had the little uh, break. Was that the was that that year? Well, there was there was something. I know we played a few days after New Year's, wasn't it? It was a few days after New Year's Eve. Yeah. I'm pretty yep. sure this that was the Asian City. Cup. I think it was an Asian Cup or something that was coming up. So we So 
we had a new like we had New Year's off, and then I think we were playing you guys on like the third or the fourth, so fairly close to New Year's. Anyway, as it was, the boys thought the coach said it was it was JVS at the time. He goes, no one's to go out New Year's. So us being fucking 18, 19 year old kids, we went and booked a booth at the Prince in St Kilda. Went out, had a top night. There was like 10 of us there, 12 of us from the team, all the younger boys. And then a few days later, we rock up the, to Central Coast and we're thinking, should be a good game, should pocket them, no worries. And um, big Ross Archibald uh, was playing centre back. I think it was his debut. It was his first game and he was on a youth contract similar to what you were. And this is where you talk about moments and taking your moment. And he he got, this is his first start, you know, youth team player, good opportunity, just gone out a few nights before, probably not the smartest thing, but I don't think he realized he was going to start and then go on. Yeah. And then obviously, <laughs> um, yeah, you scored a double, didn't you? And we, so we yeah. got sent packing. We, we, all of us young boys fucking copped that. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got Tander, I Tander got a red card as well because I was, I was through for yeah. my hat trick and he took me out. Yeah. <laughs> so we all copped it. And it's just, it's just funny. Like, as you say, it's about opportunity, taking opportunity when it's there. Obviously, this um, Japanese club was there watching you. Obviously, Roscoe was on the other side. Like, he was thinking, come first game, like, should be a good game. <laughs> And then you've gone and scored a double. So, like, it's just funny how, how it can go either two ways. But, obviously, I'm good mates with Roscoe. He's a, he's a top lad. And, um, basically, after all these years, <coughs> we, we wanted to say, like, you you got to give Roscoe a little percentage, man. <laughs> he's, he's had you, a beast. He, he's had a beast. You, were not, you didn't get that move, bro. You <laughs> your career didn't go the way that it has. So. Yeah, so he helped me get my J-League deal. Yeah, 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 basically. Yeah. He got you. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, Get him two, Ross two tickets. <laughs> two tickets this, this upcoming Socceroos game. He lives in Melbourne, I think, still now as well. Hey, so Honestly, tell him to send me a DM. I'll sort him out. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> no, he's a, he's a legend. And then, yeah, obviously, so the next game, what what happened the next game? Yeah, we won 2-1 against Adelaide. And I, uh, I gave Josh Rose like an 80, 85th minute assist, something around there. And so, like, within the two games, they watched me. They saw me score two goals. Could have had a hat trick and as well get an assist and then had the deal lined up ready to they signed up before they left and i was absolutely buzzing because i know of what i've heard uh, the j league has always had a reputation of being if not the best league in asia one of so um for me it was it was a dream move and for me outside of that the personal stuff i was going through i was going through that stuff like dealing with expecting a child in uh, a tough situation um, not being a part in an actual relationship, just being young and thinking my life was flashing from before my eyes and not ready for stuff like that. And then I had the opposite side of effect of like getting dream op- opportunity to sign in the J League um, and the financial side of things. I was in debt while I was playing for Central Coast Mariners. So for me, that I was able to clear clear my debt after one month's salary in, in Japan when I arrived. And I was like, people like... Certain decisions is what, depending on like what people's situations are, you can't judge players if you don't know what their situation is of why they're making certain decisions, on, especially on contracts or moves. You know, I'm sure it's a, it's always an educated decision by a lot of players and they're ticking off certain certain boxes of why they're making that move. Um, and for me, I've always had a little checklist of three things. I'd always like to think uh, football level is going to be up there, the financial side of things and the lifestyle side of, side of things. That's what I'd always try to tick off. And if I could tick off two of those three, I'm happy. Um, 
although I didn't realize how important the lifestyle side of things was until I moved to Saudi. And when I moved to Saudi, that was uh, not the lifestyle for me, um, with me being a bit of a social butterfly and, and getting out and about every now and then. Uh, didn't suit me, especially being on my own. I, I need a, I need an outlet. I need an escape. And Saudi didn't have any of that. So um, yeah. all learning experiences and all part of the journey. Um, but yeah, for me, I've, I think all those experiences you start to figure out, especially when you start to become a bit of an older head, um, who you are as a person, what you like, what you dislike, what, what situation you want to put yourself into. And you make certain decisions based on those things and, and those experiences where obviously when you're younger, like Ross, even making that decision, he's just been excited about the hype of being in, involved with the with the boys and probably got carried away, not expecting that certain situations can happen and unfortunately paid the price a little bit the next day. Um, Big Dukey's bagged the double. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, mate. I've got the reputation of Japan now. Thanks to him. <laughs> I reckon if Ross got out his time again, he would have he would have still been there with the lads on the night out. Yeah. So, mate, fair I'm guilty of that. More, yeah more times than probably I've said yes more than I've said no so yeah so you spent uh you spent like a good chunk you know I think people again that you know now me being involved over here in Japan in, in J2 anyway you see how big football is here and how good the quality is and for someone like yourself you spent what was it three three or four years firstly at S-Pulse four years yeah four years like it's that's that's unbelievable to keep getting contract after contract you know they can get foreigners they can pay them top dollar um, so for you to survive that that long of a period of time and now also come back again shows that you've built a pretty good reputation um, here. What was, I guess, your first, you know, in that first season, I guess the adjustment period when you first came, was it the standard was that much higher than the A-League? You know, the language, the culture, what kind of, what were the things that, you know, stick out to you most? Ah, oh, mate, to be fair, it was all those things. Um, I'd gone from the Central Coast to uh, a squad of 23 um, and then probably you'd say, you know, 13, 14 proper like seasoned professionals um, to then a squad of 35 in Shimizu S-Pulse, uh, obviously top class Japanese players as well as top class foreigners. Um, and I definitely felt out of my depth for the first six weeks with the intensity um, in training, the, the how long training was. Um, the technicality side like was just different levels from what I was used to in the in the rondos and stuff I was chasing shadows um, and I had a I had a touch of a donkey as well which didn't help um, so for me it was it was a big adjustment I still do but um <laughs> but yeah so like for me it was it was that and then obviously the cultural side of things getting used to be uh, doing training and games through a translator um, you can't have firsthand communication with the coach you got to speak through someone else um, learning training drills through someone else, like secondhand information. And you've got to, you know, you just got to clock on to stuff like that. Or oh, that's an experience. And then obviously the lifestyle side of things outside of that, you know, the first few few weeks of being in Japan, I was calling my translator to fill up my car with petrol because I didn't know how to do it. I couldn't communicate to the person that was doing it. And I was like, just the, like little things you don't even take, like you don't not necessarily take for granted, but you just can't, you're very, very useless in certain scenarios like getting a haircut i couldn't communicate i couldn't get a i couldn't fill up my car is that is that still happening now restaurants. with the haircut is that why your haircut's so shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm just growing my hair out now looking like a used tennis ball i've only got a few haircuts left mate leave me alone it's stress <laughs> don't worry brother we're, we're we're all there nah you boys are strong you i'll give safe. you some of mine ben, benny's mate, on benny's yeah, on yeah, the, the ashley martin mate. <laughs> hey, Ashley Martin, if you're listening, mate. sponsor sponsor the podcast. Yeah, 
honestly. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. so you've been there that many years now, though. Like you wouldn't have any of those issues now. You you surely learnt Japanese now, surely. Um, yeah, I've still been pretty lazy with it, but I can kind of get away now. And at least I can say in Japanese if I can't. I used to just be like, I can't speak Japanese, uh, but they still couldn't understand that in English. But now I'll be like, Nihongo wakaranai. So that's like, I can't, under, I, I can't speak Japanese uh, or I don't really understand Japanese. So for me, I can at least communicate certain bits or I can be like, ah, oh, I can speak it a little bit and they just be basic with me. And I can understand enough now after being here for six and a half years. So, which is good. I can get a haircut now safely. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's uh it's funny. It's actually funny. I was speaking to someone just the other day about that exact same thing. Um, our Caravella's um, football academy was here and I caught up with them and I was saying the same thing, like literally filling up a car. Like when you first get here, something so small, but you can't do it. And you, you kind of like feel like such an idiot because you don't know. You go to the shop, same thing. I don't know. I think this is fucking what I'm trying to get. It might be chicken, but it might be something <laughs> else. Like you just don't know. And then yeah. It, it's it's something that people again you don't think about when you're making the move exactly but to survive in a foreign country there's that added kind of pressure and added kind of out of your comfort zone which is a lot of respect to to someone like yourself who's lasted so long here um now onto your onto your third team but before we go into um the promotion we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about you then getting back into the socceroos um i think you know, you, you came back to the A-League in between that and we're on fire for West Sydney. We don't need to touch on that too much because you guys were a, were a shambles back then anyway. Um, <laughs> but you you were on fire personally and then you got back into the soccer route. So was that something like a dream of yours always to get back in there? Yeah, funny enough, like got to the point where uh, in my relationship at the time with that four years, because obviously I wasn't just focusing on myself in that four years. I had uh, a partner um, during that period of time and actually she was struggling with the lifestyle situation in Japan. And so, you know, we made that collective decision to actually go back to Australia because we needed the lifestyle change and just to refresh and, and get back to enjoying life outside of football um, and things like that. Because it's obviously, you know, when people get into relationships, you know, you're not just thinking about yourself. If you've got a young family or a partner who makes that sacrifice to go with you, um, you know, they're also dealing with those lifestyle changes and challenges as well. So, um, at that time, funny enough, I made the decision to go back to Australia, which I knew I, I was scared about um, because I was scared to go back to Australia and then be stuck there for the rest of my career. Um, and that's obviously always a chance because, you know, you never know if you're going to hit the ball, like, you know, hit the ground running again when you go back. Because A-League's yeah. no, no, no easy feat. A-League's, A-League's competitive, A-League's tough. Um, you've got to do really well to get back out of it. So... Um, I did set myself that challenge. I signed a year and a half at Wanderers and I said in that year and a half, I just need to make sure I make a big statement again, get my get my name back out there, get back to enjoying lifestyle, which will then I know uh, complement my football and then get another move abroad after we've had that little refresh mentally um, for the lifestyle side of things. And thankfully, you know, it doesn't always work out, but when you set yourself targets, this time I was very lucky enough to tick all those boxes and, and make that happen to get that move abroad again. Yeah, yeah, I've heard and, about your little, uh, your little, your little buddy group with uh, O'Doherty, Dill McGowan, and Coxon. <laughs> yeah, we had a nice little crew there. I was obviously loving being back home as well, which probably turned myself into a little bit of a loose cannon again. Um, I go up and down <laughs> with trend. these kind of moments. It's a trend, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it's a trend. It is a trend. Uh, I think that's one thing I lack is control. Um, so it can't expose <laughs> me to too much excitement. Otherwise, I get, I get carried away. Yeah. So. On on the on the on the Socceroos, obviously you've got the the upcoming game 
uh, this week in Melbourne. But, you know, for something that, again, being a player, um, you see everything that people kind of say or what they write. And, you know, I didn't know you personally until I came here to Japan. But I, I really want to touch on it because I saw, you know, you, the, the hate, let's say, you were getting before the World Cup. You know, in the qualifiers, there was a lot of pressure on Arnie. Um, for whatever reason, some fans just don't like a player. And I feel like when they start saying stuff, then other ones just jump on the bandwagon. They probably don't even watch the game. They probably don't even understand football. But they feel like they've got a, a right to kind of hammer this person. And I got nothing wrong. You know what? We get paid money to play football. So they have a right to say whatever. That's that's their, their call. No worries. But yeah. I, I was like, when I got here to Japan, I'm like, like this, this guy cops it a lot. And... He's, do, he's a good player. Like, you were on fire in the A-League. You came, come to Japan. You were doing well in the Socceroos. You're getting picked. You, of course, you're not going to say to Arnie, oh, listen, Arnie, I'm not going to play this yeah. weekend because the people on Twitter, are, they're <laughs> smashing me and saying how shit I am. Um, but the resilience, I guess, that I want to touch on from it, for you to be able to handle that, for all the, I guess, the stuff that, you know, you were going through, you then go to the World Cup and then getting ready, like you touched on moments. Football's all about moments. And in the first game, Obviously, you lost to France, and thanks for, for sorting me out with some tickets as well for the World Cup games. Um, <laughs> then the second game comes, and what what a moment. I was actually sitting with your with your family, rock up to the game, everyone's buzzing. Cross comes in, and you've just, yeah, obviously scored. The most memorable goal. Um, and then to celebrate, like you said, the sacrifices, everything you kind of give up with you know time with your family to then be able to celebrate with your with your son or with your whole family but do the celebration with your son um just talk us through a little bit of you know the hate that you're getting that did that affect you and then that special moment um that you got to share with with the whole country but especially with with your family there in the stadium yeah mate honestly to be fair <laughs> i look back and I, I laugh as well because i, I did feel like it probably had, there was a time where i was probably maybe even a bit of a scapegoat i was i was that targeted man being like I think because of maybe maybe the stigma I had on me, the way I played, playing in J2 as well, people probably felt like, you know, there's players playing in better leagues uh, more regularly and, and things like that as well. You know, like I said, it's all opinions and, uh, and everyone's entitled to their opinion for sure. But uh, the main ones that matter is uh, the head coach. Uh, he's the one making those selections. And then it's up to you as a player to um, repay that faith and belief if they give you the the job to to start be the starting player and, and help the nation um for me obviously you have moments where no matter what i think i even had times where my mum was sending me screenshots being like these guys were sending like such like hateful messages being like he's shit he's this he's that why is he getting selected like he shouldn't be anywhere near the national team and blah 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 whatever like for me i think as well you know yourself who you are you like from my experiences maybe it would have affected me in my first couple of years as a young player, seeing that kind of stuff. Um, but for me as well, like I just know in my head, the opinions that matter are the ones that are within the football world, the ones that are making the big decisions like the coaching, the, co the coaches, the coaching staff. Um, and as long as you feel like you're at that level with your teammates and, and you don't feel out of your depth, I had that belief in myself to be able to get the job done. I had moments where I was feeling the pressure because it, it, it is a little bit scary. Um, knowing that I was being the main man chosen in that Peru match to get like, to qualify for the World Cup uh, in that playoff uh, was nerve-wracking, knowing that everything's on the line, you're the leading man. The leading man's expected to do the big things and score the goals and win the games. Um, 
didn't do that. We went to penalties, but um, I know Arnie expects so much more of me outside of the, the goal scoring aspect, which is why he likes me with the way the national team is set up and how we play. Um, and then we got pumped by France in the first game. I was thinking actually that was my that was my World Cup campaign finished. And again, then he gave, he gave me that belief. He actually gave me a little bit of a battering after that game because after 20 minutes against that France uh, juggernaut, um, I felt like I was chasing shadows in that first 20 minutes. And I actually looked at Arnie because he was okay. yelling out to me to do more. And I like waved my hands up. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, like Arnie's called me out on that as well. He's like, mate, like that's such a negative attitude. You don't need to do that. Just, you have a job, just do it kind of thing. And it, when he batted me a little bit after the after the game, I was like, oh shit, that's me done. Um, but then he's like, mate, I just need you to like get that negative mindset out of you. I need you again for Tunisia. And for me, that probably actually helped me a lot um, with how, I was like, how much belief he had in me. And I really want to repay that. And I mean, the rest is history with that game. Um, I was just so happy to take that moment because, um, you know, it is, it's about big moments in games and taking it. And for me, lucky enough, everything worked out. I've probably tried that header a hundred more times. I'm not hitting hitting it how I did. I'm hitting it either straight to the goalkeeper or missing the target. Um, but it worked out in that moment and that's all that matters. And then to be able to share and probably what I would say is the biggest and most special moment in my career was to share that celebration with my boy, just grasping all of what you just said. Um, all the sacrifice, sacrifices I had made, uh, going through going through a divorce, being away from my kids, missing them grow up and, and all their milestones. And the only reason you're doing that is to play the, the sport that you love, but at the same time, you're setting up their futures. Um, and that's the only reason you're making that sacrifice is to make that money to give them a better life. Um, while probably at the detriment of your self-happiness at times when you're isolated and lonely in, in a country abroad, you probably won't live in but you're there to make enough money to help your family. And when I, when I was able to share in that moment, and I always say credit to the cameraman who made that moment happen as well. It was panning to me, panning to my son, um, to be able to share in that moment was, was, yeah, I would say one of the most memorable times in my career. And uh, I'm so thankful and happy that again, Arnie, Arnie played a huge role in, in that belief. And for me, I, I saw a thing the other day, actually, I feel, I feel quite proud actually to say, Throughout all that, I know I, I still get hate. I, I saw again, I got now announced today in the national team setup. I, I still see people be like, I'm sick of Duke. I'm sick of seeing Duke. Like, <laughs> maybe people hate my face. I don't know. But I was like, yeah. like people just forget now, like everything's done at the World Cup. And now they're obviously, they want young blooded strikers, which is uh, to blood in young strikers and stuff like that, which is fine. Um, and for me, like, I don't want to get in the way of that. But if, if I feel like I can still do a job, the, the coaching staff still think I can do a job. I'm going to put my hand up to help the nation because um, I feel, still feel like I, I can do the job. Um, you know, and I have the backing of my teammates. I have the backing of the coaching staff and that's all I need. Um, and I'll never get in the way of like, if there's, there's players doing more, I know Arnie's going to give them that chance. Um, right now he knows I can do the job that he asks of the striker because it's a lot more than the attacking side of things with, with Arnie's style. But funny enough, I saw this thing, what I was getting, what I'm going to get back to is, it was like funny enough, like who would have thought Duke would probably be the leading man in one of our most successful times in our history, really. We had our most successful World Cup campaign, um, finished as higher rank. We, we broke some records in the process of, and probably during a very tough time during the COVID things, we played only probably like two or three games at home out of 20 um, during those qualifying processes. We won 11 games straight during that, uh, broke, broke that record. 
um, you know, and, you know, I've been a big part of that and I can look back and be proud of that. I was the top scorer during that World Cup qualifying campaign. Um, you know, so I do think a little bit of the hate is probably not completely warranted, but um, <laughs> you take it on the chin and you laugh about it and you just be like, you know what, that's their opinion. I might not suit their, their style. They, they like someone that's, you know, a bit more exciting, like uh, Aaron Kunda now. Because I'm, I'm buzzing to see Yangi. I think he's a huge prospect as well. And I'm, I'm glad to see him get selected into into the national team. Um, so for me, I'm excited to see what the young boys can do. But right now, if I feel up to it, they're, they're competing with me, I'm competing with them. And that's how it is. Yeah. yeah oh, that's, that's, that's fun. Yeah, it's quality. Uh, we'll go into, uh, we've gone a little bit over because um, it's been great to hear hear yeah, about what, what you're- Like I said, I, I no, speak no, too much, mate. No, <laughs> we we knew think... this chat was going to be, we wouldn't, we wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be short of anything to talk about. This could have been part one of about a hundred, I think. You know, we can do a whole uh, Netflix series on it. Yeah. But um, we'll, haven't we'll, even got we'll into go nightlife scenery yet. <laughs> yeah, we got to do the we got to yeah. do the night out part two. Yeah, we'll do that after once you've uh, once you've won the Asian Cup, we'll we'll get you back on. So um, yeah, true. We'll go in, yeah, we'll we'll go into the questions. Football Friends with Ben and Steph is proudly brought to you by the Inner Game Journals, started by none other than our co-host, Stefan Moore. The Athlete Performance Journals were created to help athletes of all abilities become more self-aware through goal setting and reflection. On or off the field, the mental side of the game is so crucial to help you feel and perform at your best. Head over to www.theinnergamejournals.com and use code FOOTBALLFRIENDS to get 15% of all products. If you're a club, school or a Academy, you're in luck. Stefan also runs workshops and he's just released the app version, which will allow you to give direct feedback to players. Download the app for free today. Search the inner game on the App Store. I'll go with the first one, Ben, and then you can read out the second one. So the yeah, first no one, um, at A-League Times, can we see you back in the A-League anytime? In the dream world, I'd love to finish my footballing career in the A-League um, to finish off where I started, obviously, in the country that I'm from. Uh, I'd love to go back and finish. Um, but again, football's very, very unpredictable and I'm not sure what what my future holds. Right now, I've just been promoted to, to J1 um, and that's where my motivation lies is to give it another crack in J1 um, and, and see where it takes me. Yeah. Yeah, good, good. Would you, um, you? sorry, would you, would, yeah, would you want to go to Wanderers or, or the Mariners? Yeah, that was my question. <laughs> you know what? Open book. Open book. Yeah. Well, open checkbook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> open the checkbook as well. Well, at least not, he's not going to the Mariners then. <laughs> nah, well, to be honest, like for me, in, in the ideal world, actually, I would love to go back to Mariners because um, I really enjoyed the lifestyle there. And I think that's where I'd probably want to be in a by that time in a few more years to be a bit more settled um and you know i had probably a little bit of a time where I, when i left wanderers for saudi probably ended a little bit not on greatest of times and i've done wanderers twice now i went back there on loan so i don't know if that's played out a little bit now as well but we'll see um it, you just never know what kind of opportunities present themselves and i'll be open to challenges i've, I've always been open to I want to live in melbourne or even even brisbane so we'll see I'll get on the blow about Western United. Yeah, there we just go. Give me, just give me five percent, Juki. 
Yeah, happy days, mate. Happy days. <laughs> and you, you, you two um, and Ross Archer will can go out for a drink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mate, I, it sounds like I owe him a big night out. I, I'm willing to do it as well. <laughs> um, next question at Chizo sixteen. Your form is getting better later into your career. What are the key factors you put this down to? I think a big part of what we've spoken about is it's just all the experiences, figuring out who you are as a player, what your strengths are um, and, and how you play. And I just play to those, to be honest. I don't try to do anything outside of the box. Like, And it might not be pretty and, and what people are like. Cause for me, I'm not a dribbler. I'm very basic. It's kind of like a, a hold up, bounce the ball kind of thing, uh, high energy and get in the box and, and be a menace. Um, and that's just helped me. Because, like get the opportunities that I have and, and the reputation I've got here in Japan in the national team and everything. I think that's just what I stick to. I don't try to do anything outside of the box because I know I'm going to make a fool out of myself if I start trying to do stepovers or or something like that. So for me, <laughs> it's just it's just simple as that. It's just knowing who you are. And it's just all the experiences that mentally, because that's a huge part as well, the mental side of things is being able to motivate yourself and handle any scenario that's been thrown at you with big games big pressure moments um, for me I'm just always got that same level head and just know I approach every game the same way and that helps me probably stay consistent over the last few years and, and have gotten better for that you can't so you're telling me you can't do a step over but you can do the splits on a corner flag yeah that's what I mean mate. I, I, I've got the agility I've got the flexibility I've got the agility I'll do my uh, I'll do my knee if I do another step over <laughs> Uh, that's uh i think it's uh yeah it's it's i guess like you touched on before as well with you know still being involved in the soccer is because your form is so good um age age of course you know getting young players through is important and you do you know for that next cycle of the world cup but who's to say you know with the way technology is sports science like you know if your body's in good nick and maybe you reduce it from five nights out a week to, to three <laughs> nights out you, you might play till you're 40 who knows honestly i actually get scared <laughs> to think about you know what if i actually was completely fully professional I could be a bot better. <laughs> nah, but for me, like, I feel like I'm like, I'd, I'd compare myself to like a lower level Jack Grealish. I like to enjoy myself. Uh, yeah. And I think that's fair. And I think the main thing is, as long as you're doing a job on the football pitch, don't pay attention to what he's doing outside of the pitch. Know your business. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Everyone's got their different ways of coping. Um, you know, one person might might say, you know what, if I don't do everything right, then I know on the weekend I'm going to be thinking about that and I'm not going to be able to perform my best. Other people might say, you know what, if I'm enjoying my life, then that's when I'll play my best. So I, I was I was like that. When I was younger, I was always like, no, no, I can't do this. I remember the night before the game when we were at Melbourne City, Bruno Fonaroli was eating hot chips and he was going, just fucking have one. You're still going to play shitter than me tomorrow anyway. And I was like, fucking hell, this guy's eating hot chips and he's scoring a hat trick and I'm fucking going out there shitting myself. So, um, but nah, it's, yeah, so everyone um, does their preparation a little bit differently and whatever you're doing at the moment seems to be working for you. So I wouldn't uh, listen to what anyone says. I just keep keep going about your business. Um Coming up with obviously the next Socceroos game, you guys are versing Bangladesh. Um, for the people that are saying that you shouldn't be be picked, surely there's a there's a hat trick incoming for Juki in this next game. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Next one. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Like I'm actually excited. Like you know, we're starting another you know qualifying campaign for the 2026 World Cup. So and for me, I'm I'm very happy to still be involved. Um, you know, actually. 
with my 10 goals that I've got for the national team, I've not scored any of them on home soil. So another, again, I'm finding those extra bits of motivation for me. Um, I know it's going to be a Bangladesh, not that, the, not that you take any game lightly, but there's going to be obviously opportunities for myself there to score goals and definitely a hat trick incoming for me is I'm, I'm going to try and call it out now. Um, that's my <laughs> expectation. And that's, <laughs> please don't scuff them now. Please don't scuff them. Um, no, but uh, yeah, for me, like that's, that's going to be, you know, because it's also like then we're building up into the Asian Cup as well. So these two qualifying games uh, in November and then we've got that's also coming into the preparation for the Asian Cup. And we're expecting big things for this tournament. So for me, I want to make sure I can put my hand up in these qualifiers to be, again, the main man potentially for the Asian Cup. So and that's just about if I get my opportunity against Bangladesh, I'm going to punish my chances when I get them. And uh, hopefully it's going to be a very, very clinical game for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big it's a big one. I think, you know, people always like to talk about, you know, when you're playing the lower teams in Asia, that it's going to be easy, how many goals. But, you know, they're, they're fighting for a, a World Cup spot. And anywhere in football, no matter what league you're playing in, no matter what the game is, if you're scrapping for something that's so important, they'll do anything. So, um, you know, you gotta you got to make sure that obviously, you know, you have that same mentality. And then going, you know, probably for more of the younger players, let's say, that have come into this camp, for, for the, the listeners out there who's... Who's been some players over the last, you know, six, nine months since the World Cup, let's say, that have impressed you um, and you think will go on to have, you know, really successful careers? Yeah, I could, I could rattle off a lot, to be honest. Um, so many have impressed me. Connor Metcalf, uh, most recently, he, he's he's really impressed me. He's just, he's got, he's the complete package. And it, I didn't realise until the last camp, actually, he's got an absolute leap on him as well. So he can be a, a threat at headers. But he's an athlete, he's composed, he's got technique, good decision-making, good judgment and like where to be on the pitch. Um, and he's got a great shot on him as well. Um, I think and he would me, definitely he's, join he's... you for the, for a night out as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, he's a good boy. He's one of the boys for sure. Um, and he's a legend. No, nah, he's an absolute legend. And to be fair, a lot of the boys are, to be honest. And uh, I'd say him, I'd say Riley McGree, um, He's he's just he's a seasoned pro already. People probably don't even realize how young he he still is. Um, I got him, Keanu Bacchus in the recent camp. Sakadi, the centre back, he's uh, already a Rolls Royce at the age of twenty. I think he is um, very very impressive and big things to come for him. Um, and I probably and Silvera as well. Um, he's really impressed me as well. For, for me, a lot of the young boys that I played with actually in the Olympics that have transitioned now into the Socceroos. It's just, it's so good to see um, because, you know, they're the future and they're going to be in this national team set up for 10 years. Um, and, you know, Australia's in safe, good hands. Yeah. No, I think that's uh, that's everything. If you want to wrap it up, Ben, and tell everyone where they can find us on our socials. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for coming, Juki. As um, we said, all the best for, for these next games and, and also the Asian Cup. Um, I hope that you can silence all the, all the critics and, and bag a few more for the country and hope that you get your first on, on home soil. So thank you very much for um, joining that app. Um, for everyone at home that enjoyed listening to this so we can keep getting superstars on like Mitch Duke, make sure you follow and subscribe. We're at Football Friends Pod on uh, Instagram and we are at Ben and Steph Pod on X. So make sure to follow us and stay up to date with all the latest episodes. Thank you, guys. Oh, Fred. Fuck you lot. Where's the beer?